Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Welcome. Today's guest is Kimberly Sargent-Burke. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. You look beautiful. It's so good to see your face. No one else can see it right now. They can just hear us because that's what happens when you have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to um, bring you on this show because we are a recovery podcast. And what that means to a lot of people is drinking, substance use. And what I'm trying really to do is help the world understand that recovery does not equal sobriety, that there are so many other things that are happening to people in the world, mental illness, cancer. Some people I know have actually had heart transplants recently. Hmm, Kimberly. So (laughs) I thought it would be awesome just to sort of let our listeners get to know you. You're a healthy, young, vibrant, active woman, and you felt ill. I think that it's important for the world to know, again, recovery is something that a lot of us are going through that not everyone understands. So give me a little bit about Kimberly. Like, let's start off with you're married to a hot fireman. Oh, wait, that's real. That's not a dream. That's for real. (laughs) That's real. That's definitely real. I'm married to a hot fireman. Before the start situation, I basically did marketing, promotions, promo modeling, and then a lot of TV hosting stuff. And I worked out a lot. I mean, I still do actually now, thank God, but I worked out about six days a week. Yeah, you were pretty intense. I remember coming for a visit once with your sister. Her sister is a friend of mine. And uh, I thought I was going to die. And I was really... I mean, right now, I'm just a fucking lump on the log and I do nothing. But at the time, I was really, really active. And I really thought I was going to die. Okay, so happy, healthy young woman in your 30s. Yeah. I was working out six days, sometimes even seven days a week, no problems at all during my workouts, never short of breath, never crazy heart rhythms, anything, nothing. I never felt anything. And then all of a sudden I started to feel like I was short of breath at nighttime. And so I mentioned it to my husband. I was like, Hey, grab your stethoscope and listen to my lungs. I think I have pneumonia. Mind you, I've never had pneumonia. So I don't even know what pneumonia feels like. But to me in my brain, I was like, this has to be pneumonia because I'm fine during the day. Can I stop you real quick? Was he in his uniform when he grabbed his stethoscope? Um, no, he actually was not. He was okay, not. okay, continue. <laughs> so he's like, well, I don't care what I hear because I don't hear anything. But if you're short of breath, you need to go to urgent care. So I ended up going to urgent care, which everybody talks so much crap about urgent care. But I will tell you with this particular doctor, she saved my life. I came in, I told her what's going on. She thought it was pneumonia as well. But she's like, your lungs are clear. So she gave me a steroid shot but my heart rate was elevated. So was my blood pressure. So she, before I left, she was like, wait, 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 come back. Let me just do an x-ray just to make sure. So they did a chest x-ray, told me it would be back 24 hours. She came back in two minutes and was like, I need you to call your primary care physician now. And I need you to see him in the next 48 hours. If you don't, I need you to go to the ER. And I'm like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, these films show that you are in congestive heart failure and your heart's enlarged. Oh my God. So we made an appointment. Our doctor couldn't see us. So we had to see a different one. He blew it off and was just like, oh, you'll just see the cardiologist in, in three weeks, whatever, whatever. No. Yes. Told me it was just fine. Three weeks. 
And then Jared was hot like fireman. <laughs> hot fireman was in paramedic school at the time and studying the cardiovascular system. Of course he was. Of course, because God, you know. So he asked, um, he's like, well, why don't you just run the BNP? Now, I have no idea what the hell BNP means. I thought that was like a new group, <laughs> a music group. I didn't know. I was like, who's that? And the doctor was like, no, no, no. Let's just run this vitamin panel. So we run the random vitamin panel about my iron and vitamin E, whatever. And I just kept deteriorating that next week. And my husband called again and was like, I don't care who she sees, but she needs to see somebody now. So I, they got me in immediately. I went to go get an echocardiogram. And during the echo, she stopped and grabbed a cardiologist and was like, what time's your appointment? Okay, you need to go straight there. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I have no idea. And then they were like, you're in congestive heart failure. What the actual hell? And now was this, you don't, do you, family history? So family history, my father passed away from a heart attack, a random heart attack. So they, during the autopsy, they found he basically had high blood pressure, super healthy guy, six pack ran, ate healthy, ate clean, but just had high blood pressure and just never got it checked, which is as they call the silent killer. Yeah. Danielle, my sister had a PFO. She actually had a stroke during her pregnancy with Mariah. What is a PFO? So a PFO is when there's like, it's, there's these holes that everyone's born with, but they naturally heal up and close Okay. whenever you grow. Okay. And in certain amount of people, I don't know the percentage, they don't close up. So when there's extra stress on the body, so when she got pregnant, it caused this stroke to her brain and she literally went blind for like two minutes or something crazy. Oh my gosh. It's insane. Oh my gosh. Okay. It is. And please believe, let me tell you who Eric called. He didn't call 911. He called my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Eric is Kimberly's brother-in-law. Yeah. He definitely was just like, I, uh, mom, a mom needs to be in the mix here. Such basketball coach thinking, right? (laughs) I was like, my mom was like, hang up and call 911. Why are you calling me? It was, it's crazy. He needed the playbook for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So then you do have history. So there's something to be said with having a little bit of concern. But again, this was just so random. And I remember for a while you were like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like they were trying for a long time to figure out what was happening. So that happened over last summer. So once they figured out what's congestive heart failure, then they were trying to figure out what caused a congestive heart failure. Okay. Was it a virus? Was it genetic? Have I had it a long time? They came to the conclusion that I had a virus. Now, mind you, I'm never sick. I was like, I've never been sick. They're like, well, maybe your body didn't respond, but it attacked your heart. So they sent me to a heart failure specialist. They worked with me. We got my um, ejection fraction, which is the output of your heart, which should be 55% to 75% in a normal person. Mine was 10 or like 12 to 14%. What? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. So when the doctors would read my chart and then come in, they're like, this can't be the same person because I was in such good shape. The rest of my body was compensating for how poorly my heart was. They were really expecting like an overweight. Yep. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> it's just like, I was going to give like this whole like dissertation of what they were expecting, but only overweight came like, ob- I mean, honestly, like obesity is what people I think immediately go to when you think about exactly. Yeah. When you think about what's going on. Oh my God. Okay. And I was at like the peak of my fitness. That was like, I mean, you were tight. I was doing great. Yes. And my cardiologist got my ejection fraction up to 30%. So we're like, okay, so it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And then last June I started having stomach issues and I was like, I don't know. I just 
my stomach hurts and I thought it was acid reflux. Then I was like, I don't know, I feel bloated. So I called the doctor. The doctor's like, oh, talk to Julie, which is my cardiac nurse. She's like, oh, go see this GI specialist. He's great. So I go to see him. He prescribed some GI medicine. Fast forward, all along, I was retaining fluid because the other side of my heart was failing. I just couldn't eat really. So I was eating like 1200 calories, but I wasn't losing weight because I couldn't eat anymore. It just didn't add up. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. So you're retaining all this, whatever, no idea what's happening. And really what's going down is your heart on one side is like, not interested. Yeah. And then now it's crazy when I look back at it, or if you Google it or anything, one of the common denominators of heart failure is fluid retention in either the lungs or the stomach. So the fact that they miss that is crazy to me because it's one of the top five symptoms of congestive heart failure. Have you considered yourself beyond WebMD now? Because you sound like an encyclopedia. Yeah, I... (laughs) My husband calls me Dr. Burke now. (laughs) I research, research, research. And that's kind of my goal now is to either find a nonprofit or create a nonprofit that helps patients advocate for themselves because the knowledge that I have has made me so much better off. And the fact that whenever they're talking certain things and they try to downplay it, I'm like, okay, so what's my PA pressure? They're like, you know, your PA pressure. What, What? I'm like, what's my wedge? They're like, what? I just feel like the more knowledge you know about something so serious, the better off you'll be and the better care you'll definitely get. Absolutely. Well, yes, we should always be our best advocate. And unfortunately, sometimes people assume to take the role where they know better. Yeah, all the time. And we've been kind of taught to agree with that. Um, Okay, so take me through the next, like, what the heck? There's so much more. (laughs) So then I just started getting worse. I've been logging everything I'm eating and I'm still staying the same weight. I can't get anything else down. What's going on? And so I talked to my friend. She was like, you need to see Dr. Sun. I'm like, who's Dr. Sun? An acupuncturist. So I'm a big believer in natural medicine. I also believe we need regular medicine, big farm and stuff like that. But I think a lot of things can be fixed or helped or assisted with vitamins. So I went to see this acupuncturist kind of with a closed off mind a little bit, but I was still like, all right, we'll see what he says. Worth a try. (laughs) Right? Why not? So he immediately grabs my wrist and says, your pulse is really weak. And I was like, oh yeah, well, I'm on beta blockers. That was on the sheet that I listed. And he was like, no, 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 it's really weak. And I was like, okay. And then he goes... So I can help you with your symptoms, but I can't fix it because your medicine's making you sick. And I was like, what? No, 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 no. The beta blockers, it, you know, so my heart doesn't get too fast and this and this. And he's like, I'm telling you in his Asian accent, which I'm not going to try to attempt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I might offend somebody. But you already did. Um, but you already attempted it. <laughs> the beta blockers. Um, the beta blockers are making you sick. And he said, I promise you, the medicine's making you sick. He puts me on the table, does this thing, somehow makes my stomach go flat. Oh, isn't it a miracle? Miracle. Yes. And he's like, but that's just, it'll come back. The next day, I'm like, you know what? Let me just call the doctor and talk to him about my medicine. So I call the doctor. He orders blood work and come to find out the diuretic they had given me stopped working back in June. So my body wasn't retaining any of the heart medicine for the last three months. Holy shit. All from the acupuncturist. My BNP, which is that number that I was telling you about, it's basically the hormone that your heart gives off. When I first was diagnosed was 900. When they finally ran it after the acupuncturist told me I was sick, it was 2,500. Oh my God. That's a huge difference. Insane. Insane. Oh my gosh. Okay. So keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. 
Like, this is great. So we put me on a different type of diuretic. He was like, okay, well, we need to get the right heart cath. So basically they go in through your neck. So as you see, I have a bunch of scars right here. Mm-hmm. You get them every week once you get a transplant. But so they go in through your neck, go into your heart and check the pressures of your heart, basically the functionality of your heart at that point. Well, one week passes and I like bottom out in my blood pressure at home to like 78 over 50 something. Oh. And He's like, go to the emergency room. I'll call them. I'll let them know you're coming. So I show up. And mind you, I went to work on a Monday. I call the doctor on Tuesday. I go to the emergency room that Tuesday. They perform the heart cath on Wednesday. And Wednesday afternoon, they tell me I needed a new heart. You need a new heart. Yeah. Literally working on Monday, just popping in because my blood pressure is super low. And hey, by the way, you need a new heart. There you go. Thanks. And mind you, they told my husband and my mom before they told me. So when the doctor came in, I had no idea. And he's joking with me with this Russian accent. He's like, so which hospital are we going to get the heart in? And I'm looking (gasps) at him like he's crazy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, which hospital are you going to get your new heart in? I've never seen someone so happy to get a new heart. Oh, my fucking goodness. Yeah. No. So my eyes cut to my mom and my mom's (laughs) not passing out. So I'm like, this bitch knew. What the fuck? So then I looked at my husband. He's like, oh, and I was like, these motherfuckers do. I was so mad. I was like, no one wanted to tell me. I'm the one with the new heart. They were like, well, they were going to break it to you slowly. How slowly can you be- break it to me? I need a new heart. Tell me now. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. That doctor must have felt really dumb. Oh, he didn't care. He thought it was hilarious. Oh. And then I like went, then I went off on him. Yeah. So I was like, that's not how you tell a patient they need a new heart. And he's like, well, how should I tell you? And I was like, sit down, let me tell you. <laughs> FYI, for the next time. Yeah. Like completely inappropriate. That's insanity. So you're literally like, oh my God, doctor comes in making stupid jokes, hot fireman husband and mom are sitting there like, oop, Matt, well, we weren't gonna tell you. And now you're there. You're like, I am in the hospital and I am 30 something. What, what can we talk your age? Of course. Okay. I was. Cause you look fucking 38. She was 38. I know. I know. You're so, you're so stinking cute. Okay. So 38 (laughs) going into things. I got low blood pressure. I've got something funky going on with my heart. Here I am. Yeah. Oh, Hey, (laughs) where are you going to get your heart? (laughs) Literally. I was like, that's not like a, a SpongeBob joke. Like, what do you, this is not funny. Yeah. We have to find you a heart. Yeah. So he basically, at that point, I was in really, really bad shape just because they let it go so long. And what they prescribed me at home was just a higher dose of the medicine that wasn't working. So I just was getting worse. So by the time I got there on Monday, he was like, you're going to have to go straight to where you're going to get your transplant. So I thought I was literally going to have like three days and then I'm going to get a transplant. Well, of course, my doctor, my cardiologist was like, no, her body's insane. Just wait. And I um, got rid of nine liters of fluid in the first night. Nine liters. So nine smart water bottles. Thank That's you. the best way to say. There we go. Nine smart water bottles. She had to put that in Lori terminology because I was like, what's nine liters? I was like, how many Diet Cokes is that? Yes! <laughs> Now you're talking the language. So four, two liters of Diet Coke, pretty much. That's how much it is. That's, That's how much lot. I got rid of it. Yeah, in the first 24 hours. And so, of course, once you get the fluid off, your heart starts working better. It was still failing and I still knew I needed a heart, but I had time. So they actually sent me home on something called Milrenone. So I kept a pick line. I still have scars for my pick line. Yeah. And it pumps this medicine to help your heart squeeze. 
and they put in a defibrillator. So in case my heart went out or it had to pace out, they're like, you'll be fine. So they sent me home and two weeks later, I go to UAB, which is where I was getting the transplant. That is the, what does the UAB stand for? University of Alabama, Birmingham. Got it. You're located in Atlanta. Yes. They sent me to, and this is awesome. I will give Kaiser Permanente a shout out here. Hey, (laughs) if you want to sponsor this episode, feel free to contact me. Thank you. Because definitely they had greater outcomes at that time. Their two-year survival rate for heart transplant was 100% and Emory was like 94. Before we hop onto this little train, you literally just found out you have all these issues. You need a heart. And it's very clear that that's not going to happen immediately. I mean, when you hear you're going to be on the heart transplant list, you're not packing your bag to go in the hospital waiting for that to come the next day. You're literally like, holy shit, I hope that I'm going to survive for the next two years until something matches what I need. Exactly. I'm like, I've seen enough Grey's Anatomy episodes to know this doesn't happen overnight. And you are now Dr. Burke, so you get it. Thank you. So I totally get it. Okay. Well, I know I'm going to have to wait a while. I just have to keep my body as strong as I can. And at that point, I had lost once they got the fluid off, which was, and then my muscles atrophied immediately because I had just not been eating. So I hadn't been feeding my muscles. And you know me, Lori, I eat all the time. Yeah. You couldn't tell. I mean, you can if you like, like, this is the thing. If you know fitness and you know what it takes to actually gain muscle, you realize you have to feed yourself a lot. You're like, you know, you're not like a, like a, like a, like a, oh my God, I can't say anything, but like a, like a, like a, (laughs) it's like making a rap, like a, like a, like a, like a, I'm thinking of then, you know, just skeletal skinny. If you want to get that way, you reduce your calories. Exactly. If you want to be fit and lean, you have to eat a lot. You have to eat. To make those muscles happen. So yeah, you were always eating and always good food. Always. In that first week, once they got everything off, I was 165 going into the hospital and I left at 145. Girl. And that was in five days. Oh my God. Just from getting all of the fluid and all of the atrophy. See, and this is something too, I mean, I think some of our listeners will definitely relate to. There are a lot of women that I know listen to the show that have body dysmorphia issues and that have sensitivity when it comes to eating and having to recover from something like that. I really want to talk to you about that after we finish the rest of the story, because you are, you're recovering from being in a situation where you were at the peak of your fitness in your life to now. And jokingly, we say this, but, but clearly there's got to be some underlying emotion with this where, yeah, you know, you are gaining weight because of your medication. Oh yeah. You have, your shape has changed. Your being wasn't because you were such a beautiful woman, because you're so smart and fit and talented. In addition to that, you happen to be fucking gorgeous. <laughs> so knowing that, knowing being another gorgeous woman, I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> because we're twins, pretty much. I mean, beauty recognizes beauty, of course. <laughs> Being attractive is not how you identified your life, but it was also very much about who you were in a sense of waking up and being happy with what you saw in the mirror For sure. and working hard to get there. Yeah. And now being at a place where you're like, I'm still working harder, trying to, you know, other than... Yeah. Working harder, actually working harder than before. Yeah. So I don't know why I went on that tangent because I want to finish your story and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So they sent me to UAB to get... So while I was at Emory, they did all of the testing. So when you get a transplant, there's a bunch of testing that you have to get done to make sure your body can handle the transplant. So they test your liver, they test your breathing, they test your lungs, they test, they check for 
during your chest x-ray, if you have any type of thing wrong with there. Like, I mean, you go through crazy amounts of tests before you can even be possibly listed. So I went to UAB to speak with them. And like, you have to do like the final, because they were the ones that were going to list me. And while I was there during the exam, Dr. Talaj looked at my husband and then looked at me and said, so I think we need to admit you tonight. And I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Well, I told him two weeks prior, I couldn't sleep. Like I still was having these, it's this crazy, like you, you go to sleep and then all of a sudden you, you wake up and you gasp for air. So it's like a movie Ugh. and it, it, it's, it was called something, but I thought I was just like having these weird dreams, but I couldn't sleep. And he was like, that's called blah, blah, blah. You need to be admitted today. Oh my gosh. And I was like, wait, I don't, I didn't pack a bag. I only brought two outfits. <laughs> I didn't bring my brush. Like, I was like, I'm like, uh, I'm not really ready for this. I don't have my nail supplies. I don't have extra lashes. Like, what do you mean you, you need to have me here? Priorities people. Yeah, exactly. And so he was the first doctor that told me you're so fit that your body's been compensating for how bad your heart is. And those are the people that drop dead at oh any moment. Oh my God. Hey, and so welcome to Wednesday. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was like, well, let's let's get admitted. Let's go on up there. So um, they admit me on a Thursday, and they run a couple more tests. By that next Wednesday, they were like, let's put it. We need to put in a balloon pump and another um, IJ, which is that right heart cath, but they keep it in, so it's like a bigger line. Ooh. And then the balloon pump they go in through your femoral artery. So by like the crease of your leg and it goes up to your heart and it does a balloon to help your heart pump. So it just, and, it, wow. and it's attached to this huge machine. And since it's in that artery, you're bedridden. So <laughs> they prepare me that you're going to have to use a bedpan. And mind you, I'm like lucid. So it's like, what are you talking about? These people are normally like really messed up. So they don't care, but I'm super with it and not even thinking I'm that sick. You're like, excuse me, I can walk myself to the bathroom right there. So can you not? Can you not do this? But they're like, you need the balloon. Oh God. And it'll place you higher on the transplant list as well. That Wednesday. So then the next Thursday, the transplant team came in, brought me the letter. You're officially listed. Okay. So I'm bedridden. Scary shit. Insane. But I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm listed. So now I'm like on the list. I was level two. So level one is you're pretty much about to die. Level one is really bad off. So I was a level two. And unfortunately, my blood type is O positive, which is the most common blood type, which means all these people above me that have O positive are going to get the heart before me. So I knew it was going to be months, possibly a year. I didn't know, but I knew I was going to have to stay at the hospital. That next Wednesday, my husband, firefighter husband, hot husband, (laughs) God bless him, goes to leave for work because he's driving back and he's like, I'll be back on Saturday or Friday or whatever. And I was like, okay. And he's by your side every second, like every second. My mom had come down, everybody, but So I tell her or I tell him before he leaves, you know, you're not going to work tomorrow. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, my heart's coming tomorrow. And he's laughing. And I'm like, no, really? Like my heart's coming tomorrow. And I kid you not, the next morning I wake up, the nurse comes in and said, you're NPO. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't eat? (laughs) (laughs) NPO means you can't eat. That's all that that's all you need to know is you can't eat. I was like, what do you mean I can't eat? And she was like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. They just told me you're NPO. Like, I'm sorry, don't shoot the messenger. And I was like, I'm not going to shoot the messenger. I'm going to eat her. (laughs) (laughs) Can you find out why I can't eat? And and so it doesn't even cross my mind that I can't eat because I'm about to get my heart. 
And then at 10 o'clock, they do rounds. So the attending came in and he was the worst liar ever because they try not to get your hopes up. So he's like, <laughs> so, well, um, we're working on some things and um, we should um, have some more information soon. And as soon as I have more information, I'll let you know, okay? And then so he leaves and I, before the nurse practitioner leaves and I, I was like, Lauren, come here. So she comes over and I said, tell Dr. Lineman, he's amazing, but his acting's terrible. And I know I think they have a heart for me, but just keep me posted. She starts dying laughing. So at 12 p.m., the actual surgeon comes in wearing Crocs, no socks, a laptop bag and a polo and says, hey, I just got out of a 10 hour LVAD surgery. I'm about to fly to Illinois to procure your heart. If it looks like it's everything's okay, we'll have you in the OR by 5 p.m. Oh my God. You think those Crocs were some kind of magic? Girl. I mean, I feel like because you said without socks that there was a reason for that. I I can't. What's and he wears them all the time, and apparently he wears them in surgery. I didn't. I, luckily, I was out. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have time to razz you about your ridiculous shoe choice during my heart transplant. <laughs> oh my gosh! Inquiring minds want to know: Did Jared bring back some eyelashes for you? Because that was really important. The third time he came, of course, that was a necessity. Awesome. Yeah. By that time, you're like, listen, dude, I I can't even look at myself. Okay. Oh my god! So he's flying to Illinois to get you a heart, and all I'm thinking is you need to go to sleep. You look like shit. Like, I don't think you're ready for this. You die. Like when you get a heart transplant, you're on bypass and they take your heart out. And so all of everything circulate. I'm like, uh, is this a good idea? Maybe we should wait till the next one comes. Like literally in my brain, I was thinking that. Like what transplant person thinks that? But I was thinking that I was like, Ooh, this might be the day. Here we go. And uh, so they just don't tell you. They do not tell you. It's not like Grey's Anatomy that they're like, oh, we've got a heart. Here we go. They don't tell you. And is that because, like you said, they don't want to get your hopes up just in case? Yeah, so, Because truly, I mean, on the other end of that is unfortunately someone you're getting a live heart. Like yeah. that means someone has passed and they've donated their organs. Yes. Yes. Okay. And the sad statistics of it is on average, each person that receives an organ has two faulty t- attempts before they actually get the organ. Wow. So usually it doesn't work out two times before they actually even get the organ. So I was just like, Psh, I'm not getting it. I didn't even, I just played, I was like not crying. I was not upset. I was just laughing, joking with the nurses, but they still have to prep you like you are. So you're butt naked. They're shaving you. Every single hair on your whole body Ooh. has to go. Well, there's one good thing. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, can you get the waxer? I prefer that. But you know, we're going to do a sugar scrub with this one. (laughs) I was like, I get that. No. Okay. So they're like waxing you and then they have to, um, they normally use something called chlorhexidine, which is an antiseptic to clean your whole body. That sounds really healthy. Totally. But (laughs) a week before I had an extreme allergic reaction to it. So they had to use betadine sticks. So my whole body was orange and stuck together. (laughs) (laughs) My arms are stuck to my body. My lovely lady parts were stuck together. They had to like go in there and pull those apart. It was so humility. I'm like, well, this is how transplant goes. <laughs> Whatever, bitch. I'm getting a heart. <laughs> right? I was like, you go down there. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> exactly. So um, they had three or four nurses. I think four nurses wheel me down. So I'm in the bed. They wheel me down all the way to the OR line. Still don't tell me I have the heart. The anesthesiologist team comes out, talks to me, and then they tell me, your heart's very, very weak. 
if when the heart gets here and we don't think it's going to be a good fit, we will not put you under because we're, we don't think you'll wake back up at that point. And again, I just never felt bad. So I haven't, I mean, the whole time, yes, I was short of breath. The only time I really would feel bad is if my blood pressure was low, which once they fixed that issue, I just never really felt bad. So I didn't realize how sick I was. And one of the nurses, I'll never forget this. Eliza was like, well, do you want me to pray for you before? And I was like, yeah, yes, please. So they all held hands around me and she prayed and we all just started crying. Oh my gosh, how beautiful. And that's literally, they took me. And the next thing I remember is being exhumated. They're pulling out the tube and my husband and my mom are walking into the room. And I didn't even know I had a heart. I said to my mom, I was like, where's my defibrillator? And she says, it's out. And I'm like, why did they take it out? I need it. And she's like, because you got a new heart, baby. And I looked at my husband and he was like, yeah, you got the heart. So that's when I found out is my mom and my husband told me. This is like unreal. This is literally unreal. Insane. They said it was the fastest O positive heart they've ever gotten. So what was the time frame? Like from Thursday to Thursday. So I was listed on a Thursday and I received the heart the next day. I can't. It's just, it's insane. So you mentioned prayer and I know that by knowing you, you are a woman of faith. Do you feel like you had a connection, a different awakening or something? Explain that. 100%. I think, actually, I know, I should say, I know. That's why I never freaked out. It was crazy when it all started happening. And then my heart started failing and they're like, you have to be in here. And my faith was just in God. God's got me. Like I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. They would all try to be strong, like around me. And then they would talk to each other and be like, Oh my God, Kimmy's going to die. Blah, 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 like all this stuff. And then they'd put on a brave face with watery eyes into the room. And I'm like, why are you crying? Like, were you laughing really hard? Like you're fine. It just, I never, I don't know why. I mean, it's only, it has to be God because I never panicked once. I didn't never once thought I wasn't going to get a heart. I never once thought I'm going to get sicker. I just didn't think any of those things. And I really believe that in recovery in general, positive thinking and people that are positive around you is so vital to your recovery. You have to get rid of the negative people. A hundred percent. Yeah. When you get a transplant, they do all these different evaluations that aren't just tests. Like you have to get a psych evaluation. They have to verify who your support system is going to be. So if you have all the money in the world with the best insurance and no friends and no support system, the chances are they won't list you at that hospital. Wow. Well, and then also too, you can list all the friends in the world, but if they're assholes and negative Nellies, yeah, we talk about that a lot in recovery. Your environment is so important. It's vital being able to exist in health, really. Facts, completely. So this is the thing. What? Okay, th- this is all of that's crazy first of all, but it happened. And here you are. Thank your God for that. Now we get to the recovery part, right? Like this is what this, so I saw you, I don't even know when I actually physically saw you, how long it had been since your surgery, but it was like the first time you traveled. So it was the first time you were allowed to travel. The only time I've traveled actually now oh, since COVID. Good for me. <laughs> it was interesting and we'll get to this in a little bit, but you were rocking a mask before anybody else tried to make that popular. But I remembered in my mind impossible that you had just within, I think, weeks, maybe a few months, had just had your heart taken out of your yeah. body and a brand new one put in there and it's working. And you're walking around yeah. and we're at a basketball game. Yeah. But then you open up your, oh, hey, I have to take my medication. 
and you have like a fucking pharmacy in your purse. Like no joke. I wish we could show the listeners what you just posted recently on social media, your cool new little med holder, which I love. (laughs) I mean, you have to have a spreadsheet for that shit. It's insane. So kind of walk us through a day. So now recovering from that transplant, what is that? What is your life like right now? Well, you know, the pre-meetings that you have to have with all these people, they try to prepare you. So they're, they tell you that you're going to have to be on top of your meds. You're going to have to have a support system. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. Well, as you know, from just from recovering, someone can tell you how it's going to be in recovery, but you're not going to know until you're actually there. And that's kind of how it was for me for the medicine. Like it was just so overwhelming. I was, but I'm also very organized in OCD. So I was like, okay, this will be fine, whatever, no big deal. But it's like, I take about almost 50 pills, maybe 40 something pills a day. 50 something pills a day. And the way that I get through it is I just found bomb ass pill holders that can do four times a day. And I do two weeks at a time. They pop out. I just grab a day and go. And none of the pills are super big or hard to swallow or anything like that. So I just don't even think about it now. I just pop the pills and keep going. And I set alarms. And is this a lifetime situation? Like what what are those 50, 40 to 50 pills a day doing? The biggest thing, which as you know, I just got out of ICU from June um, is so rejection is the biggest thing. It's number one, obviously. So you don't, you're, this still is a foreign object, even though my body's doing awesome and great. It's doing awesome and great because it's my body's not rejecting the heart. So the only way your body doesn't reject the heart is to suppress the immune system. Well, young African-American females have the strongest immune system. And apparently I have the strongest they've ever seen. So after my surgery, I was doing great. And on day five, blood antibody rejection. So that's um, rejection in the blood, not on the heart from the donor appeared. So there's different classes. There's like a class one, a class two, and class twos are really bad. So you don't want to have class twos lingering around, but they do whatever they can, give you different types of medicine to get rid of them. But often when people get class two DSAs, they never go away and their body just kind of fights it for the rest of their life. So I had all of them and they gave me all different IV medications. So my, what would have been a 10 day stay after heart transplant, it ended up being 60 because I had, quote, the worst rejection they've ever seen. 60 days. Yeah, that was a long time. And I was like, and the crazy thing is, is with blood blood antibody rejection, you feel fine. So I was literally (laughs) walking five miles a day, eating all the snacks, eating all the food, cracking all the jokes, doing lunges in my room. And they're like, okay, well, next, let's try this. Let's try this. And then um, they even tried something called plasmapheresis. When they hook you up, they take out your blood, spin your blood, and mix it with albumin and put it back in your body. So it's supposed to help pull out the antibodies, the bad antibodies. Wow. Did five rounds of that and quote, they've never seen it not work. My antibodies doubled. So it was just everything wasn't working on me. It's so but miraculously crazy. it all worked. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I think you go back to that miracle, right? It's like the fact that you finally found what was happening. This random acupuncturist was like, listen up after you'd been to so many professionals getting a heart 
just getting on the list in general and then actually within a freaking week. Yeah. I mean, it's just all these pieces going back together. You're like, this has to be a miracle. I don't understand how, I mean, and again, everyone has their own beliefs, but I don't understand how someone couldn't believe in a higher power after the situation that I had, how everything, I mean, I'm one of two people maybe that have ever cleared class two DSAs at that hospital. People don't clear class two. You just don't. And then in January, they ran my blood and all of them were gone. It's just insane. It's a, it's a miracle. It is. It is. And I'm so glad that miracle worked for you. One of the things that I have found strength in is actually watching you through this whole thing. You have kept your head above water. You have kept your faith. You have continued to inspire others. I mean, you're working out in ICU and I'm over yeah. here eating donuts in <laughs> Reno going, damn, Kimmy's doing it, but I just can't, I can't catch a break. I have no motivation. And how do you feel? I mean, emotionally, how did this affect you knowing that, you know, again, your life just sort of turned upside down? I mean, did you feel like you had any bouts of depression or, or anything like that? during this period? The only struggle... Okay, obviously, as we talked about before, the weight gain was a huge struggle. And it still is a struggle. It's just hard because I know what my body used to look like and I know what my body looks like now. And all the weight gain from prednisone goes to your stomach and your face. It's called moon face. So my face literally changed. And it's starting to get back normal, as you can tell. It's definitely a lot slimmer. And I haven't even lost that much. I've lost like six pounds. But my face... The moon face is going. So when you get moon face, the fat redistributes to this part of your face. So you get a round face and that's from prednisone. That's so funny because you always say moon face and I thought you made that shit up. I didn't know it was a thing. It's like a medical term. It's like a real, it's a real thing. Of course it is, Dr. Burke. Yeah. So um, that was huge. And that still is a struggle. And Jared, of course, is always like, but you're so beautiful. You're so great. So I have to call my sister because my, you know, Danielle, and she will be like, oh my God, I gained a pound and she'll freak out. So she could understand where I was coming from. Absolutely. She gets it. And until you're pretty much down to like 2.5 milligrams of prednisone, you're basically dieting against medicine. It's constant. I'm still watching all my sodium because prednisone helps you, makes you retain water and you're, I'm still counting every single calorie. I'm counting every calorie that I work out with and then subtracting it from that. And then whatever my metabolic rate is, what you burn just sitting on the couch watching Netflix and Grey's Anatomy. It's been a psychological struggle for sure. Yeah. What's your go-to? How do you get yourself out of any funks that you find yourself in? You know, it hasn't gotten to that point. Like I haven't, I'm motivated every single day to get up and do something because I want change. Yeah. But I've always been like that. You know, I worked four jobs at a time, not because I need the money, but because I'm motivated and there's things to be done. That's motivation. And also the donor's family. You know, I feel like I owe it to them to respect this heart and to do the best I can with my body with this new heart to make sure it's healthy and it's working well, because this is I'm now living for two people. That's how I look at Mm, it. Which is such a I mean, gosh, we could have another episode on that. (sighs) You know the donor's family? No. Oh. You are not allowed to contact the donor's family until one year. And as I've been going through this, I totally understand why. Because a lot of people mentally, although you pass a psych test to get the heart, you start freaking out and you start thinking about the, the donor and how she died and all these things. For me, I didn't have that type of reaction. My reaction was more that maybe somebody else needed the heart before I did and they didn't make it. 
because I got the heart before them. So that was more of my struggle. Was there somebody else that needed it? Because I, they told me when I was waiting to get my heart that there was another person that was up for the heart, but they needed a block, which means you need more than one organ transplanted. So they needed a heart and lung, but that's really hard depending on how people die to get certain part, but you have to get, if you get a block, it has to be from the same person or your body will reject it. Oh my gosh. So, and then the nurse that prayed for me came to me and whispered to me and she said, I'm just gonna let you know, it's really hard to get a block. This heart's yours. (laughs) 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 I was like, yes, Okay. Thank you for the information. (laughs) That's the kind of energy I need. You know what I'm saying? I was all right. Okay. This is perfect. So that was really um, the only struggle that I had about the donor. I didn't really, because you have to look at it like I didn't kill that person to get the heart. They were going to pass away anyway. I mean, they, whether they gave me their heart or not, they were still dead. Right. So I have, I looked at it like that. Like I didn't cause her, you know, I didn't. So. Right. Somebody in your position could easily find their mind wandering to why did I kill this person? (laughs) With that, I just had a really good question. I don't know where it went. (laughs) 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 Failure. Never. Something to do with the girl passing away. Um, Okay. I don't know. Okay. So you don't know the family, but you will. So that's another decision you have to make. Do you get to... Oh, let me back up. What I'd like to say is the importance of donating organs. So the comment you just made, um, being someone who just received an organ, knowing that regardless, this person was going to die. So whatever their fate was happened. Mm -hmm. Now, should that person not have been an organ donor or that their family did not donate their organs? you could not be here today. Yeah. And so the importance of actually, you know, being thoughtful about what you want to do with yourself as you become an adult and make really good decisions like organ donation, Mm -hmm. PSA, you heard it here first, donate your organs. Yeah. So we can have more peeps like Kim floating around. Yes. And on organ donation, let me just say this. People are often confused. People think, oh, they're going to kill me to take my organs. First of all, that's completely false. They're going to do everything they can to keep you alive. <laughs> Who is thinking that? You have no idea. So many people. They're not going to sell them on the black market unless you get murdered in some crazy alley and they steal your organs. I don't know about that. That's not what I'm here for. But also registering. There's two ways you can register. You can do it on your license that you're officially registered. And I didn't realize that was valid. But like literally, if you click check that little box and they put that little heart on your license and it says organ donor, you're an organ donor. I don't know if this is going to make you like me more or not, but I have a little heart on my driver's license. I don't think I could like you anymore. Yeah, girl. You're you're already there. You're already there. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Or if you did not do that and you want to be an organ donor, you can go to Donate Life America. You can just register on there. Awesome. That's good information. So here you are. How many days or months or where are you at? So we are nine months out. So that's crazy too, because it seems like this happened like a freaking million years ago. Yesterday for you, but maybe because so much going on in my life that I'm just like, oh my God, that was so long ago, but it's not even been a year. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's also just so different because I got my transplant on October 24th, but I literally didn't get out of the, I got out of the hospital for one day and got readmitted because of water retention. So I didn't get released out of the hospital from two weeks before October 24th until Christmas Eve. So I was in the hospital that whole time. And then by the time I got out, I was wearing a mask for 
two and a half months and everyone was staring at me thinking I was diseased and going to kill them. Girl. And then COVID hit. Okay. We have to talk about this because I was with you the day. Yes. yes, You know where I'm going with this. So we went to a basketball game in Arkansas. So Kimberly's sister, Danielle, is a good friend of mine. And her husband is the coach for Arkansas Razorback basketball. Did I get that right? Yeah. I feel like I should have brownie points for that. Not that Eric will ever listen to this, but I don't know. I feel like sometimes he just needs to hear that I know. Exactly. So we went to this amazing... And I was honestly scared shitless for you because it was like, you're not supposed to be out anywhere. Like, you, I, I mean, you just literally got a new heart. But you traveled to Arkansas from Georgia. Yep. I was there visiting your sister. And we go to the arena, which is huge. I mean, do you know how many thousands of people were there? It was sold out. A lot. A lot. A lot. I mean, it's a big-ass arena. And you have a mask on with a filter and the whole thing because you have to because bitch just got a new heart. I mean, come on, people. Yeah. Besides yeah. the looks that you received the entire time we were there, yeah. someone actually on social media got kind of feisty about you wearing a mask and then something about it even being decorative. What the hell happened with that? What was that situation? Yeah. So I believe that was at the SEC tournament. So in Nashville, we, my sister and I took a picture by the sign. And of course, I had my mask on, which... I don't wear my mask at home, but anytime I'm in public, I was wearing a mask because of their germs. I don't want strep throat. We just, anything could really turn to fatality at that point because I didn't know how low my immune system was. She posted this picture of us and was like, yeah, great time, whatever, such and such. And then this troll commented that this mask isn't going to help prevent Corona. Don't you know anything? And then it was like, oh, and cute touch, the black and white checker. (gasps) Yeah. No. Yes. So, so what do you, I mean, okay, I love that immediately you were like troll because duh, of course, you are a strong woman emotionally as well. But does that stuff like, how do you, how do you accept that? Well, it was funny because my sister screenshot and sent it to me immediately. And of course, my sister is, has to be way more classy than I do. I don't have to be at that level because I'm not the coach's wife. I'm the coach's wife, baby sister. You know what I'm saying? So I I don't have to <laughs> stand in the same standard. But my sister wrote this guy back and was like, actually, my sister just had a heart transplant and she's been wearing a mask since October 24th. Thanks for your concern. Yes. And she sent it to me and said, I stayed classy. And she said, don't worry, the Arkansas fans will handle it. And then they just went off comment after comment after comment after comment, just going in on this guy. And then once Corona hit, some guy came back to the post and tagged the guy and put, don't you feel stupid now? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't she call it something like the hog hive? Yeah, because I, I told her she was Beyonce of Arkansas. So we now call all the Arkansas fans the Hog Hive. The Hog Hive was <laughs> hot that day. Don't mess. Don't mess. So mad. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, you were living a life that seems semi-normal to people now, unfortunately, with having to wear a mask daily. But but this is also an issue now because there are so many people in the world that are fighting that this disease, Corona, COVID, is either a political ploy, it doesn't really exist, because don't worry about the hundreds of thousands of people that have died, and that wearing a mask is against their rights. And you're like, hi, so I could die if you don't wear a mask. Pretty much. Yeah. 
but you're getting backlash. Yeah, it's been crazy drama about it. And, you know, I just generally don't comment. I don't post articles. I, you know, I'll do funny videos. If you join my social media, you'll see I do very funny videos about masks and why I think, you know, me wearing a mask and why you should wear one too. But the best example is what is currently going on, which you actually don't even know, is my husband and his crew, firefighters, went to um, a call with this lady and she was over 600 pounds. What? So it took all of them, plus the two paramedics, to lift her on the stretcher. They get her into the ambulance and then the paramedics were like, oh, well, we're not, we're only AEMTs. We're not paramedics. We need somebody to come with us to bag her. We don't, we don't know how to do that. So four of the firefighters. I'm sorry, ride in. back up, bag her. What does that mean? Bag her. So when you put the um, mask on their face and they squeeze it to oh, get you air. Oxygen. Jesus Christ. I was thinking like a black bag, like a death bag. Like a, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck would happen to her? <laughs> so they squeeze it, they bag her and they, you know, compressions, whatever, because she was having congestive heart failure symptoms. Well, they ride in on the ambulance, which is obviously an enclosed space. They get there. It takes all of them to get her out and they're riding back to the station. Well, they get the call that they think she might be COVID positive. So they send all the firefighters home and they're like, you need to stay in quarantine till we find out if she's positive. And then if she is, then you need to stay in quarantine for 14 days. She comes back, she's positive. And then the guys are still in quarantine, but they get tested on day five. So they got tested on day five. All of them tested negative. Fast forward to day 12, all of them get sick. Meanwhile, my husband is not sleeping in my bed. We're not sharing the same bathroom. Any common space, my husband is wearing a mask all the time during this whole time. Right. So he starts feeling sick at the station on a Saturday, calls me that morning and was like, I got chills. I had this, this, this. I'm going straight to urgent care. No. Yeah. He goes, gets tested, tests positive. All the other guys go get tested, test positive. Holy shit. So this whole new, oh, let's only incubate, you only have to hibernate for 10 days is bullcrap because all of them tested negative after five and positive after 12. So I think the original 14 days is where it should be. Yeah. And um, he's never come home. So he's been staying at his friend's house that has COVID as well. Oh my God. And they're COVID quarantining together. Yeah. COVID quarantining. But unfortunately, two of them are now in the hospital, <gasps> both of them. Oh my God. So only Jared, one of them, 33 years old, perfectly healthy. And the other one, his entire family got it. The other guy lives alone. So when people tell me masks and social distancing don't work, I can't even fathom because I didn't get it. I'm the only person out of all of them with the family that did not get it because he's been wearing a mask and he's been social distancing from me. Right. So you're like, proof is in pudding, bitches. Like, we just did this. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And just, it's I mean, annoying. this is what I, again, back to your inspiration and your strength. Like, I would be a fucking, listen, I would be like, you don't come home. But like none of this social distancing, like mask bullshit, I'd be like, go find yourself a new apartment and call me in a year because this heart, <laughs> this heart needs to like heal without yeah. the idea that this little cloth is going to keep me safe. But it did. It did. It really, it really works. And I'm, I am a psycho cleaner. I do clean all my surfaces, all like the knobs and light switches every single day and countertops. That's like five times a day because I eat all the time and there's food all over the counters. That's a whole different story. You're so cute. But I like, I leave it know. all, I leave it all there until the end of the day. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Mine's like evidence. I'm like, my husband's gonna be like, are you eating again? What is this brownies? I'm like, shh. No. So if I clean it up and just looks clean, he doesn't know I had like 15 snacks. Love it. Okay. So I do have to get to this social media bullshit right now. Okay. So you just told me the story about the... Wait, back up. 
How is Jared doing now? Is hot fireman okay? So that's the crazy thing about this virus is Jared never had a temperature past the first night. He just kind of had a scratchy throat and a runny nose. He said his chest kind of hurt and his back kind of hurt, which means like your lungs. Fast forward to today, day 10, he's got like no symptoms. Wow. But he just took, you know, his friend that he was staying with to the ER. He has pneumonia and couldn't keep anything down. I didn't even know vomiting was a symptom, but he couldn't keep water or food down for three days. Jared was like, we need to take you to the ER. And then his boss is on oxygen and even on high flow oxygen, his O2 stats are only at 91%. That seems like just based on your response, that's not a good thing, but I have no idea what that meant. Okay. So you know the little thing they put on your finger? Yes. Okay. So that thing, it tells you how much oxygen is saturating through your body. Okay. And a normal person is like 97, 8, 9, rarely 100%, but you'll be be fine with that. Yeah. In the field, anything under 92%, they give you oxygen. Okay. So him on oxygen is only at 92%. Oh, shit. Okay. See, yeah. yeah now, I, now I get your reaction of like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such a crazy fucking thing. Like literally, and it's just, it's baffling to me how so many people can make this something it's not. It's not political. It's not what you think it is. There's true there are lots and lots and lots. Let's let's use the president's terminology. Many, lots and lots and many dead people. Yeah. Like it's crazy. You know, people are dying. This isn't a joke. And now uh okay, I can't, I can't. Blah, 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 blah. It just makes you want to kill people. I know. It really does. It really does. And you know what? This is the thing is for people, so many people to expect answers when it's a brand new virus and Things are changing dramatically daily. Thank you. Just go with the flow, man. Cover go your face and stay home. New Zealand has no fucking cases. They have no cases. I, I just read that. And it was like, because they freaking listen. That's why. Yeah. Because they freaking listen. You know what they did? Those bitches stayed home and they ate at home. They kept their fucking masks on if they had to go anywhere, which was nowhere because everything was closed. Thank you. And is their economy dead? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't but know. I just know that in the last 100 days, they have zero cases. And we're two self-entitled um, assholes here in America. And <laughs> that's pretty much it. You know, like it's crazy to me because even in my situation, if I was not in my situation, I'd be wearing a mask. And it would be bedazzled and have donuts on it and whatever. But I'd be wearing a mask yes. all the time. Yes. So it's it's really crazy to me how people still think it's a political ploy and how it's so convenient. And then people get mad because they're like, well, you know, in February, they said masks didn't help. I'm like, they've never seen this virus. Right. Every day is different. They don't know. Everything's exactly. going to change. Guess what? Now we know. So stop pulling interviews from Fauci in uh, February of 2020. Thank you. Uh, okay. It's just crazy. It blows my mind. Okay. You and I have the same feelings, obviously, but we're also, also, in my opinion, very kind people that allow others to have their own opinion. And yeah. I'm not forcing anyone to think the way I do, except for my family. Oh. I mean, listen, kids, you're going to wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, I'm sorry, yeah. but I'm in control of you till you're 18 and you're going to wear a mask. Exactly. But you've just had some troll on Facebook. Yeah, it was just insane. So my friend Shelly, that she's a gym friend, and she always posts about masks are stupid. Don't wear a mask. This is this. And, you know, I just scroll. Like, right. I don't even comment. I don't even mention anything. And she then posted something yesterday that said, first, you tell me masks are going to work, but then they don't work. And now you're telling me mask and social distancing. So I had to comment, <laughs> right? But I comment very 
very politely. I pulled the inner Danielle Sergeant Musselman out of my soul. Yes. And I was basically just told her the firefighter story that I told you guys and just said, maybe the media is kind of overwhelming you. I was, but I just wanted to give you a different perspective before you post insensitive comments like this for me. And this stranger goes off on me, tells me that um, I'm a bitch. And if I don't like the way she comments and the stuff she posts, then I can just fuck off and like goes crazy. Oh my God. Tagging me in it. And so I respond, I don't know who the fuck you think you're fucking talking about, <laughs> question mark. You're like, excuse me, the inner Danielle Sergeant Musselman has now left the building. <laughs> you couldn't have been talking to me. Why would you even cuss me out? This is irrelevant. And then I put, no one was talking to you. So then she continues to go off on me and call me like, curse words and all this cra- just craziness. And to me, people that call people names lack intelligence. You can't think of anything that you have no argument. So you result to name calling, which is what you do when you're 12 <laughs> and your brain's not fully developed yet. Like I get it. I get it. I mean, but this lady has three kids and a husband. So I'm literally thinking this is, this can't really be real. And then her final comment was that I was a C-U-N-T that didn't deserve my second chance at life. Stop! And that's when... I lost it. I didn't lose it on her cussing her out because I knew the hog hive would come for her. So I screenshot, <laughs> I screenshot everything, screenshot her page, and then commented underneath back to her. And I said, well, I hope you enjoyed those comments that you said because they're all going to be posted on social media. Yeah. She immediately deletes all the comments. I'm like, mm. you, I can tell she was maybe 30 because I'm from the MySpace age. We know to screenshot. We know. Like we know about a top eight and we're trying to grade people. We know about that. <laughs> that's, that's the old people. We know. I'm like, I already got you, girl. I posted it on my social media and they came for her, came for her hard. Yeah, they did. I was I was pleasantly surprised this morning when I woke up because we're a couple hours behind you. So I caught up on that and I thought, thank goodness. And mostly because, I mean, I obviously have a freaking sailor's mouth, but there's a certain level that a woman calls another woman the C-U-N-T word. What adult does that? Oh, I just said said the (laughs) C-U-N-T. You know that see you next Tuesday thing. It's insanity. And it shows, yes, just like you said, lack of intelligence. And the thing is, come on, people. Like, again, we all have different opinions. We have a voice. If she doesn't agree with you, you know what? Politely like, hey, I don't agree with you. But, you know, you have the right to share your story. Your truth. Yeah. It was, Hello. And no one was even talking. That's the crazy thing. If I added her, okay. But like, no one was talking to you. Like, why are you talking to me? Nobody's <laughs> talking to you. Keep scrolling, troll. Thank you. Like, it's just crazy. And I just wanted Shelly to hear my story because maybe she'd feel differently. And that's why I told it. Exactly. Which is what you have to do to actually speak your story. And hopefully someone will listen and realize that there's another opinion other than their own. Facts. And sometimes people, I I believe a lot of the mask situation, people have to see it in perspective. So when they hear a story like that, then they're like, oh, shit, Uh, maybe they do work. You know, like you kind of look at it a different way. Or I did a post a while back and it had over 50 shares basically about being like, hey, you know, if you put a mask on and you're wearing a mask for six months and it ends up that it didn't help, what did that hurt? You just wore a piece of cloth for six months. And I said, but if you decide not to wear one and I catch COVID and I slowly get sicker and my immune system is so compromised, it can't fight off the disease and then I passed away all because you didn't want to wear a mask. Was it worth it? Everybody shared it. 
it just was a different perspective because they were like, oh, wait, Kimberly could die. Well, and then unfortunately, you think of it selfishly because then you're affected, right? When you know that someone you know could be affected differently. And I think also the amount of information that has been, like you said, from the beginning, you know, things change. So at first, wear a mask and then it's like, oh, it doesn't do anything for you. And then blah, blah, blah. You got to keep up with it. Also, I think having the education about about what masks are doing right now. I see a lot of people confusing wearing masks for their own safety versus others, right? Like, well, a cloth isn't going to save you from... No, asshole, it's not going to save you from the disease. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to cover your sneeze, please, right? Like, yeah. Thank you. Exactly. And Guy, he's an ER surgeon, posted on my page. So are you cool if all of us surgeons don't wear a mask when we operate on you? He's not wearing it to protect himself from the person that has a covering on their mouth. He's doing it to protect you with your open stomach on the table. I I can't understand. If you can comprehend that small bit of common sense, then you should understand why masks are important. And to any of our listeners today that um, don't believe in the mask situation, that's fine. We hear you. We see you. We're not trying to change your mind. Just these are our stories. And this is what my friend is dealing with as a immunocompromised female. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh my God, so educational. You're the sweetest. I appreciate your time. Give everybody a big squeeze when you get to see Jared next because... (laughs) Right, when he's allowed back in the house. (laughs) I'd keep that fucker out for like a year, but that's not just because... because I I mean, I do love you, but... It's so scary. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you mentioned social media. You have you have hysterical little videos going all the time. (laughs) Um, Let's give a little shout out in case any of our listeners want to follow your fabulousness. Where can they find you? My IG is Sergeant Kimberly. Hit her up on Instagram. Tell her you found her here. And we'll talk to you listeners later. Peace out. Bye, Lori. Bye, girl. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to the recoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.